It's wonderful to sing the praises of Jesus Christ who lived for us and died for us and was buried for us just like those two believers were buried in the waters of baptism and then he rose again for us. Wonderful to hear the testimonies from Ashley and from Dean proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. Now it's our great joy to open up God's word together and uh, for the pulpit prayer before we open God's word. Uh, this is a, a very old pulpit prayer that comes down to us from church history and this is a prayer that pastors prayed when, uh, when they were persecuting and even killing Christians for gathering to worship in the name of Jesus. So let us pray. Almighty God, instruct us now by the unconquerable fortitude of the Holy Spirit. May we persevere in what we are taught. May we never yield to the threats of man, but may we faithfully confess Christ Jesus even unto the end. For your glory we pray, amen. I'd like to open together to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're talking uh, last week and this week about the state of the church. We're learning together ways that we need to look at the church and maybe ways that we need to grow because this last year was a great shakeup in pretty much every church. Last year gave us a glimpse of what it would be like to not go to church for a number of weeks. Some people stopped coming to church when church was closed and then they never came back. I think more people, more people than usual switched church memberships over the last year. I'm not really sure why. But along the lines of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I think the extraordinary events of last year tempted us, maybe even without realizing it, to be conformed in our way of thinking because all the world's messaging was going one way and without even realizing it, we become conformed to worldly ways of thinking rather than being transformed. And so this little series this summer on the state of the church is to challenge us about ways our thinking became conformed in worldly ways last year and ways that our thinking needs to be transformed. Last week, the assumption of our thinking that I tried to tackle from Romans chapter 12 was assumptions about physical presence. How important is my physical presence at church? This week, I want to tackle the assumptions that we make about physical safety. How important is my physical safety? Vis-a-vis -vis the mission of the church and my presence at the church and making and training disciples and everything else. It's not my intention, nor do I have a level of expertise to adjudicate from this pulpit the data on disease transmissions and everything that everyone has said about COVID, but it is my intention and I have trained to open up from this pulpit what God's revelation says specifically about the priority of physical safety and maintaining your life and the priority of worshiping Jesus and how these things relate to faith and fear and obedience and wisdom. And I think we need to consider this because for the last, it is the case that for the last 16, 18 months, we have been unceasingly bombarded by messages 
from the government and many other entities about the importance of physical safety and physical health. Uh, yet the issue is, did or have those constant messages made us think about our bodies and our physical safety in ways that are worldly rather than ways that are Christian? That's the challenge. Have we adopted assumptions about the relative importance of physical safety that we need to re-examine in the light of God's word? That's our question. I want to answer it from 1 Peter chapter 4. So we want to read together from 1 Peter chapter 4. I want to read the whole chapter. And you can chuckle if you want, but this is not a joke. What you're about to hear me say in the next four minutes in the reading of scripture will be the best thing that you hear me say from this pulpit on this day. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled. Let me repeat the first part of that verse again. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory God, glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 19. If you're an outline kind of person, here's your three-part outline of this 19-verse section of Scripture. Point one, know how to live in these times. Verses 1 through 6. 
Know how to live in these times. Know what time it is and know how to live in this particular time. The second point comes from verses 7 through 11. And the second point would be keep self-controlled and sober-minded and keep on serving. Verses 7 through 11 say keep self-controlled, keep sober-minded, and keep on serving. No matter what time it is, no matter the persecution, no matter the tribulation, no matter the danger, keep sober-minded, keep self-controlled, and keep on serving. That's chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And then the third and last point would be simply this. Know that suffering is coming and God's glory is worth it. That's verses 12 through 19. Verse 12 begins, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Know that suffering is coming and God's glory is worth it. That's the message of 1 Peter chapter 4. First, know how to live in these times. What are the times in which we live? Well, verse 2 gives us a hint, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. We live in the flesh for a very limited amount of time, but we live forever. See that? Know that we live in the flesh for a very limited amount of time, but we live forever. What are the times in which we live? Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. He's referring there to the coming judgment. He says in verse 5 that those who don't obey Jesus will be judged. And they'll give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. We're in the, end of, we're in the last days because that day of judgment is coming quick. We're living between the ascension of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. And we're living in the flesh for a little time. And so it's this perspective on time that I would like 1 Peter 4 to challenge you on what you think about things getting back to normal. Mask mandates are gone. Businesses are open up. Are they going to do schools in September? Are we going to get back to normal? Or are we going to get back to the new normal? I think in a worldly way, all of our assumptions about what's normal and what's the new normal, none of them take this perspective into account. And if we are Christian people, they must take this perspective into account. What are our unexamined assumptions about what's normal and what's the relative level of physical safety that we should be guaranteed? What is reality? Reality is that pandemics are normal. I'm just reporting the news. Don't get mad at me. Reality is that anti-God governments using pandemics to persecute godly people is normal throughout the history of the world. This is normal. This is routine. This is neither unprecedented nor unseen in history. What's normal? Open up to any verse where Jesus talks about the last days. And what will you find? Puppies? Lucky charms? Frosted flakes? Open up to any passage where Paul talks about the last days and what will you find? Wars, divisions, diseases, violence, hatred, ingratitude, parents turning against children, children turning against parents, government persecuting godly people. That's normal. We all love, again, don't be mad at me. I'm just showing you what's in here. Every one of you loves Romans 8, 28. God, 
causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. Issue. God causes all things to work together for good. Question. In Romans 8, what are all things? In Romans 8, what are all things? According to Romans 8, all normal things are, verse 18, the sufferings of the present time. Verse 20, the groaning of creation through viruses and diseases. The futility of creation. That even when we get vaccines, they're not perfect. The futility of creation, according to Romans 8.20. And biggest of all, this is normal, according to Romans 8, verse 35. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, being killed all day long is normal for Christians. And beloved, I'm telling you, I love this verse. God causes all of that to work together for good to those who love him. We have nothing to fear if we love Jesus and we are secure in his love for us. So I think our assumptions about what's normal can tend to make us slow down on fulfilling our mission of making and training and baptizing new disciples. And just because there's a war on, or just because there's a pandemic on, or just because there's this or that on, it ought never slow down our mission of making and training and baptizing disciples. Because this is what we should not be surprised by these things happening because they are normal. One thing that I think harmed us as a church was for some reason in 2020, we saw crisis and difficulty as abnormal. But crisis and difficulty are normal in the life of the church. And this is where, from a biblical perspective, I just want to address physical safety as a human good, but not as the ultimate value that we Christian human beings pursue. Safety is a relative good to be sure, I'm not saying this morning from this pulpit that your physical safety doesn't matter at all. I'm certainly not saying from this pulpit that you should never get a vaccine or that you should lick every doorknob at the quick trip. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> there, there may be a time for uh, a certain amount of isolation because of med medical vulnerability. What I am saying from Romans 8, from 1 Peter 4, from the balance of what Jesus and Paul say about the last days, is that physical safety, whether it be from martyrdom or whether it be from a disease, is not worth sacrificing obedience to Jesus and the worship of Jesus Christ. After all, the, the ultimate example is martyrdom and the ultimate example proves every smaller case. And that is that to be a Christian is to be one who says, I do not have to live this earthly life, but I must worship my Savior. Why do we live down here? Like 1 Peter 4 says, this little time in the flesh, this little life in the flesh. Why do we live this little time in the flesh? What we live, uh, verse 2 says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. 
Why do we live this little time in the human flesh? Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly. Verse 9, we live to show hospitality to one another eagerly and generously. We live, verse 10, to use our spiritual gifts in the service of the Lord Jesus. And why do we do all of that? Verse 11, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Church, this is why we're here. This is why we love that God might be glorified in our lives. We love to see the glory of God on display in, the, in the, the baptisms that we saw this morning. What a wonderful testimony from those two. Such different testimonies. And yet so marvelous how Jesus Christ was glorified in both of those lives. To use our gifts, verses 10 and 11, in the service of the saints. We're all in for this. This is our mission to make and train disciples. So as we look together at 1 Peter 4, if I'm, if I'm trying to say maybe three things about physical safety and the glory of God, if you're an outline kind of person, I'll give you these three points to ponder. Number one, physical safety is a long way from the highest goal of the Christian life. Physical safety is a long way from the highest goal of the Christian life. It may be a relative good, but it's not the ultimate good. Number two, suffering is normally expected in the Christian life. That's what 1 Peter 4 says over and over. Suffering is normally expected in the Christian life. And 1 Peter 4, verse 11 and verse 19, and then certainly 1 Peter 5 and the way it ends in the glory of God makes this third point for us, and that is that the supreme glory of God is the greatest goal of the Christian life. The supreme glory of God is the greatest goal in the Christian life. And so we want to be prepared to live life from the right perspective. Look with me again at verse 1. We're not going to go through every single verse, but I just want to point out a couple of the verses. And verse 1, I think, is, verse 1 has something particularly mind-blowing in it for me that I would love to show you. Verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What does that mean, to cease from sin? Well, what does it mean to suffer in the flesh? When verse 1 says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, he's using the same phrase as he used in verse 18 of the preceding chapter, 318. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So suffering in the flesh, according to Peter, means being put to death, being put to death. So what he's saying in verse 1 is, since Christ was willing to be put to death, arm yourselves with that same way of thinking. For Christ's followers, we follow a Savior who died for us. To respond to the call of Christ is to take up your what? To take up your cross. Jesus said in Matthew 10, man, this is one of, this is one of those Jesus sayings that you can never get to the bottom of. Jesus said in Matthew 10, if... You find your life, you have lost it. But if you lose your life, you have found it. Matthew 10, verse 39. What does that mean? I don't know everything that that means, but isn't it the case that at least part of what that means is this? 
Can't you hear our friend Jesus saying to us, if you run around trying to save all your money and save all your physical health and save your earthly reputation, even if you're able to save all that, you will lose it all. But if for my sake you let go of all of those things, you will find everything that you need in me. This is the call of Christian discipleship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who died for Jesus. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Look with me at, at verse 1, and I'll show you what blew my mind about it. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, since Christ died, Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh, by that Peter means died, whoever has died has ceased from sin. In other words, verse 1, he's not talking about if you suffer a certain amount, then you'll become sinless in this life. He's saying once you're dead, when you're glorified, you're not going to sin anymore. So I actually think there's a smile on his face when he says this. And Peter says, hey, beleaguered, afraid Christians. Who, the government's threatening you for worshiping Jesus. What's the worst thing the government can do to you? They can kill you. And guess what happens when the government kills you? You never have to disappoint your Savior by sinning again. I am ready to go. I'm tired of disappointing my Savior. and I, I don't live the way I want to. But when I'm glorified, I'll see him as he is. I've got a little bit of time left in the flesh. Most of it I will probably spend doing the wrong thing, and so will you. But once this earthly life is over, we will appear before him, and sin will be gone, gone, gone forever. We'll get to be perfectly holy. What a gift. And then look at what he says in verses 3 and 4 and 5. The time is past to be like the Gentiles around you, living in sensuality and drunkenness and orgies. With respect to this, see verse 4, this is so contemporary. I'm telling you, church, coming out of Pride Month, where our entire country celebrates sexual perversion, which is shameful. Look at what this says. The time's passed for you to be involved in those things, but look at what verse 4 says. With respect to this, the world that is involved in those things, when you do not join them in those things, they malign you, he says, verse 4. You see that? Because you don't celebrate what is completely perverted and against God, the world says you are in the wrong. Because you don't go to their parades. You don't celebrate their debauchery. You don't put their approved yard signs on your lawn. They say that you are not a good person, not a loving person, not a good citizen and that you're hateful and dangerous. And so the pressure is to be silent. And the pressure is to be silent about your faith. But look at how, look at how Paul addresses that pressure. He says, there, he says the end of verse four, they malign you and you're tempted, maybe you're tempted to be silent. Look at verse five. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. It's almost as if Peter is saying, if you silence yourself 
because the world makes, tempts you to be silent. The world tempts you to stop worshiping Jesus. If you go along with the crowd and you quit holding up the truth of Jesus Christ, you will get off the hook with the world and they'll get off your back. But a day is coming like that when everyone in the world, including you, will appear before Jesus Christ. And what will you say on that day? You see, he puts it in perspective. What is a little suffering? What is a little ostracism? What is a little jail time here? When the time is fast coming, when we will all appear and give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then he says in verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. That sounds a little funny, but it's not hard to interpret. He's not, he's not saying some weird thing about preaching the gospel to dead people. What he's saying is some Christians have already died and the gospel was preached to them and even though they're dead now, they are now in the sinless presence of the Savior. He's saying if you're doing the good of preaching, if you die for it, even when you're dead, it's still good. The gospel is still going to save you. So to our point of uh, physical safety, he's kind of saying you're still going to die either by persecution or by the sword or by some quote-unquote natural disease. But if you have the gospel, you're no longer afraid of death. So if you die for preaching the gospel, you'll be fine. If you die from catching a disease, you'll be fine. If you die from persecution, you'll be fine because you have the gospel. You're no longer afraid of death. And then he gives us maybe the most important word in this chapter, which is there in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand, therefore, end times. How many requests am I getting to preach on end times? It's the most popular thing to preach on. But the, the thing that matters is the therefore. The thing that matters is the therefore. So we're in the end of times, therefore, therefore what? Therefore what? Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. What a thing to say. Be sober-minded and self-controlled. For the sake of your prayers. If the end of all things is at hand, the therefore is be sober-minded and self-controlled. According to Peter, what does it mean to be sober-minded and self-controlled? I think the key is 1 Peter 2.11. If you just flip back two uh, chapters, this is like the controlling metaphor in 1 Peter is here in 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. This is the controlling image in Peter. It's the last days. That means the time is almost over and we're, it means like uh, we're about to check out of this hotel so we don't have to spend all day rearranging our stuff in the cupboard. It's, we're almost gone. He says we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're visitors, we're renters, we're just passing through. Oh, that we would think more about this. What is someone who is just passing through, what are some things that are true of them? I list six real quickly. If you, have a, if you, have a, if you are sober-minded as a sojourner, if you have your wits about you as someone who's just here for a little while, these are at least six things that are true of you. Number one, you will not be totally attached to what is happening today. Number two, you will not be very afraid about what is happening today. 
Number three, you will have a perspective that difficulty and hardship are only temporary. Number four, you won't burn everything down because of something that's happening today. Number five, you won't live like staying safe right now is the ultimate goal. Number six, you'll have a perspective on life that prevents panic. Six things that, at least six things that'll be true of you if you live as a pilgrim. You won't be totally attached to what's happening today. You won't be totally afraid of what's happening today. You'll have a perspective that difficulties are only temporary. You won't burn everything down because of some little event that's happening today. Number five, you won't live like staying safe right now is the ultimate goal. And number six, you'll have a perspective that prevents panic. The challenge, according to verse seven, is to keep ourselves self-controlled and sober-minded. And I'm... I'm just, I'm just saying, we missed a step here in 2020. We got a little too panicked, and we missed some sober-mindedness and some self-controlledness that we needed to have. I'm not going back and thinking through every decision we made and opening this door and closing this ministry. I, I, co I couldn't go back through and re rearrange them all. But I'm just saying, if we're honest, when, when the media machine gets going for panic, we, we lose our sober-mindedness and our self-control. And we let our relative reactions to this or that or the other thing mean too much for us. A sober-minded soldier, a sober-minded soldier keeps the main thing the main thing. The main thing for us is making and training disciples, making and training and baptizing disciples who will make and train and baptize more disciples. A sober-minded soldier keeps the main thing the main thing. And if the soldier puts down his sword and his shield so that he can win a game of checkers, he has not been sober-minded and self-controlled. He's lost his focus. He's no longer sober and self-controlled. Again, uh, uh, to clarify, I'm, I'm not saying that we should pretend that there isn't a disease out there when there is a disease out there. I'm not saying that we should ignore what our state or our country is saying, but I am saying that we should remain sober-minded and let whatever the world happens to be saying today not be the controlling factor in our life and ministry. That's what it means to be self-controlled and sober-minded, specifically the therefore. The sobriety and the sober-mindedness come from that status of we are in the last days, this earthly life is brief, and the mission of Jesus matters most. What you're most afraid of is a function of what you most value. And your deepest fears are probably related to those things that you value the most. What do you love the most? What do you fear the most? What gets your heart's attention the most? Verses 12 and 13, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. What captures my heart the most, if I'm where I ought to be, what captures my heart the most is that the glory of Christ will be revealed. That matters more than my life. That matters more than how I die. That matters more than what people say about my ministry. That matters most, that the glory of Christ will be revealed. 
what you're most afraid of is a function of what you most value. And what you're most afraid to lose is probably tied to what your greatest fears are. And what I'm urging us to do, if you're going to be afraid, fear, uh, fear losing that sweet abiding worship in Jesus Christ. If you're going to be afraid, be afraid of sacrificing fruitfulness in the service of Jesus who gave his life for you. And evaluate your fears and how, how you listen to the news and how you evaluate what is and isn't going on. Just evaluate that all under this huge banner of Jesus and everything that it says in 1 Peter 4 about what to expect. Just to give you one challenge, the one challenge is whatever, whatever the next news story is and however you do or don't spin it, my one challenge for you is evaluate it like a Christian who is unafraid to die. Evaluate it like a sober-minded Christian who believes that we are in the last days. And evaluate it as one who is eager to love others, verse 8, and to show hospitality to others, verse 9, and to use your spiritual gifts, verse 10, that in all things, verse 11, Jesus Christ might be glorified. Of course, in biblical wisdom, Prudence and rational risk is a part of life under the sun. I'm not saying we, sh we shouldn't care about our health or take proper precautions. What I am saying is what I think Peter is emphasizing to us is that caution and safety are not the ultimate priority for the Christian. The ultimate priority for us is the glory of Jesus Christ. It's similar, is it not? It's similar to... Uh, Young couple raised up in our church. Maybe they've got one or two babies now and they're 33 years old. And they ask to meet with our elder board and they say, God has put it on our heart to, to share Jesus in a country in Southeast Asia where they might kill us if they find out we're Christians. How do their parents, or if, you, if you're willing to call the elders the fathers of the flock, how do the kind of churchly dads react to that? This is the will of Jesus that we say to them, oh no, it's not safe to go there. I, I can't find that verse in the New Testament. If you can, let me know where it is. The glory of Jesus is what guides us. What is it, Corey Ten Boom? The safest place for you to be is directly in the center of God's will directly in the center of God's will. If that puts you in the firestorm, you're way safer there than you are pulling a Jonah going the other way. I think the events of last year maybe gave us a glimpse into possibly what it'll be like if there's more hardship and more persecution coming our way. It's pretty awesome that we went through Acts. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit lined that up because the narrative of Acts is nothing but a church handling persecution and going on in her mission. I don't, this is just an opinion of how I read the news. I'm not saying this is reality, but my opinion as I read the news, just like in the last couple of weeks, some stuff that uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra has said, and then everything that the, that the Biden and Harris administration has said specifically about the Equality Act, 
This, it, it, it is, it's easy to see how that would be used to shut down churches like ours. If some kind of persecution like that comes, what do we do? What we do is what every Christian in Acts did, is we simply say, we don't have to be on the right side of the government, but we have to worship Jesus. We don't, we don't have to stay out of incarceration, but we have to worship Jesus. We have to worship Jesus. We have to teach others to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And we need to baptize them when they're willing to do that. Because this is the, this is the mission of the church. And the safest place for the church is the center of God's will. The challenge for us is that if we adopted an attitude of caution in 2020, let us not bring that caution into 2021 and 22 and 23 and 24. And let it, let it not cause us to miss a step in our courage and our boldness in the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saying. That we're always in danger of adopting the attitude of the world around us when we really have to have a transformed attitude and perspective about life. The church is God's vehicle for his glory. Those baptisms were so great. You know, I often wonder about what if Ephesians 3 says that God um, has a plan that the angels would watch what happens in the church and the angels would glorify God because of it. And often when I'm sitting out, I was sitting out there with you watching those baptism testimonies, I'm often thinking, are there angels watching and what are they saying if they are? Are they clapping their wings and we just can't hear them because it's on another realm? You know, the, the church is God's vehicle to display his glory to this city and to this world, but the church is God's vehicle to display his glory to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And I, I am all in on that. I love it. I've told you before, I, I guess I set an alarm out of, I don't know, habit, but I never need my alarm on Sunday morning. I mean, I was up late on that Bucks game last night. And I popped my eyes open without my alarm and got here this morning, eager to be here because the church is the vehicle where God displays the beauty of Jesus Christ who alone can put together lives like Dean's, like Ashley's, like mine, like yours for his glory. And once he does that, we are no longer afraid of death Look with me at 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after... You have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, give to your church a fortitude of faith and a fearlessness of spirit that after we've suffered a little while,
you will strengthen and confirm and establish all that which you are doing in us. Lord Jesus, bless the preaching of your word and bless the meditation and rumination on your word that every sister and brother here will go forward and think in a, in a transformed way about life and ministry. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.